Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Sarah. This is my seventh year in One Hope. You might not know my face because of COVID and Zoom and all the things that have happened in church lately, but I, yeah, this is my seventh year. I came from the Eastern Cape in East London, and I came up here to study, and I just haven't left. So <laughs> that's just a little bit of who I am. Um, but we are starting a series this morning on our values. Um, and the value that we're going to be touching on today is being rooted. The Bible is our book. And this means that we want to be a community. We value being a community whose lives are centered around the Word of God. So be it our teaching, be it our discipleship groups, be it our discipling one-on-one, be it our decision-making. All of those things we want to be centered around the Word of God. The Bible is our book because it is the truth. It is the truth in a world where we have endless information at our fingertips, and yet we can be sure of none of it. We can be sure of none of it to be true except the Bible. I think of how alarmed I was to find out um, about uh, the news that the Russian citizens get as opposed to the news that we get in this time, Um, and that there's actually uh, families where there's people, uh, part of their families in Russia and part of their families in the U.K., And the news that we're receiving is that Russia is attacking the Ukraine, right? The news that Russian citizens are receiving is they're only defending themselves from the Ukrainians who are attacking them. It's absolutely wild to to think that information can be so distorted like that. Um, And this isn't just isolated to that kind of case. When we think of the world and um, the beliefs that it holds and the agendas that it pushes, there are billions of people that are pushing agendas across social media and all the places that we receive information that are not the truth. And that is why the Bible is our book, because it is the whole truth. We see Jesus himself upholding scripture in his teaching and in the promises he fulfills. We see Jesus speaking in Luke 16 verse 17. He says, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. We also hold the Bible as true because it is God breathed. It is the very words of God. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. This means that even though the Bible was written by human authors, God is the ultimate author of all scripture by his spirit, right? We see that in 2 Peter 1 verse uh, 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And if all scripture is from God, and we know God to be completely trustworthy, then the words of God are completely trustworthy, right? And this is wonderful news. This means that we hold a, um, that we hold a mind-blowingly powerful book in our hands, a book that stands through every single age, just like we serve a God that stands through every single 
age. The word of God is timeless and unchanging. We can trust it. We can trust his word wholly and completely and as relevant and active in its entirety because it is his breathed word. We don't need to look for an updated version of the Bible depending on what generation we're born into, just like we don't have to look for an updated version of God. Trusting God and trusting Scripture are mutually inclusive. If God is perfect, then Scripture is perfect. If God is imperfect, then Scripture is imperfect. And if we abandon the belief that Scripture is trustworthy, we abandon the belief that God is trustworthy. And that leaves us in an incredibly scary place. Because what of the Bible can we trust? What of the Bible can we say is true? What commands do we follow? What things do we hold in security? And what things are false? To trust in God is to trust in his God-breathed word. So let's bring it together. The Bible is our book because it is the truth, the absolute truth from an absolutely trustworthy God. How deeply securing is that fact? So let's see what the truth holds for us. The Bible is the truth because it commands. The Bible is the truth because it makes us strong and mature. The Bible is the truth because it holds power. The Bible is the truth that gives hope. I'm just going to ask a question. I don't know how to hold this mic, so I can hear weird things happening. Can you also hear them? Is there a way that I must hold it that's helpful? (laughs) I'll give it a go. Okay. Um, First one, the Bible is the truth that commands. The Bible commands the way in which we should live as Christ followers. Being obedient to the teachings of Scripture is how we live out our belief in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I want to be clear here that following the commandments that the Bible gives is not how we are saved. That has always been and will always be through Jesus. So even in the Old Testament, the law was never the way that people were saved. It has always been through Jesus. But the very fruit of our salvation lies in our obedience to the word of God and how we know what we're supposed to do to be, um, how do we know how we're supposed to be obedient to God if we don't know scripture? I was flying back from uh, East London this Wednesday and I met a a guy on the flight sitting next to me. um, His name is Taquanda, such a cool guy. And I was prepping for uh, this preach, and uh, he asked me, he said, sorry, mom, are you a, a pastor? And I said, no, 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 I'm not, but I happen to be um, preaching. Um, and he said, oh, that's, that's very cool. What are you preaching on? Um, so I said, I'm actually preaching on the importance of the Bible. And he said, that's so interesting because I have so many questions about the Bible. <laughs> he said he's been reading it, and it was, it was this prime example, and ultimately, he's started reading the Bible. And the reason is, is his name, it's a Tswana name, um, Taquanda, and it means um, to love God. So he says he's always known that, and he wants to love God. He wants, um, he wants to do what God wants him to do because he loves him. And how's he going to figure that out? 
He's going to figure it out through the very word of God. God breathes scripture. And I thought, it's just so wonderful to see someone like that and see that response of, I want to love you, therefore I want to read your word. I want to see what you've commanded, you know. Um, such a good example of how we need direction and how we know to respond. I was even thinking of the things that we uh, hear in this morning of uh, Mark uh, bringing that beautiful psalm. I love that psalm and the fact that um, it uh, speaks about that uh, Jesus, I mean, God dried up, you know, the sea so that people could walk um, through it. It's amazing what God can do. The fact that God has saved us from every sin, that there is no sin that he hasn't died for. Where do we get those truths from? We get them from the word of God. We get them from God-breathed scripture, and that's powerful. We see in 1 John 2 verse 3, by this we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The very way in which we love God is by keeping his commandments. 1 John 5 verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How is that for a definition of love? To love him is to obey him. We see it again here, John 14, verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. This is a primary example of why we need to know the truth that Scripture holds. How many of us, when asked to describe love, would use words like obedience and rules and and commandments? And this is a symptom of us using worldly falsehoods to define godly character. Guys, following rules and flourishing relationship go together. I love that phrase that Paul used a few weeks ago when he was preaching on... uh, um, obedience in Deuteronomy, and he said, obedience leads to blessing. It is the rules themselves that enable flourishing, healthy relationship with God. And this is the definition of love we see in, um, as a choice, right? There's choice involved here. To love is to make the choice to keep the rules so that right relationship is possible. Now, I realize that this uh, might be making some walls go up in you, and it sounds like, um, like a legalism alert should be set off. <laughs> um, but I promise you, I'm not trying to take the delight and emotion out of love or anything like that. I just want us to not pit rules and relationship against one another, religion and relationship against one another. Um, We've heard quite a few phrases like that in the past years. Think about multiple relationships. This isn't just our relationship with God, right? Every single flourishing and healthy relationship has rules. We can start with a husband and a wife, right? There's rules involved there that create a safety and a trustworthiness and allow a flourishing in that relationship, One of the rules is don't sleep with somebody else. Don't lust, entertain lustful thoughts after somebody else. What happens when somebody in a marriage breaks that rule? Trust is broken. There's there's no security. That relationship isn't flourishing. Think of friendship. Think of the fact that when you confide in a friend, there's a rule there that they're not going to take your vulnerability and stab you in the back. What they're going to do is they're going to hold that in safety. There's trustworthiness. And if they break that rule, they break the trust. 
you don't feel loved. It doesn't feel like there's a space for flourishing relationship. We can say the same about an employee and an employer. If the employee steals money, there's a brokenness in that relationship. There's a rule there of don't take the business's money. And if you do that, it affects the relationship, right? The Bible is the truth that commands, and that is such a grace to us. Those rules allow for flourishing relationship with each other and with him. The Bible is the truth that commands. Second point, it is the truth that makes us strong and mature. If we do not know right from wrong, and what is true and what is false, we cannot become mature and effective believers. And we find the truth, we find the right from wrong, we find the truth from false in Scripture. We also need to know that this truth, that we need to know this truth so that we're not lured away by the lies of the enemy. We can only discern truth from falsehood if we are actually knowing the truth. I think of, I, I haven't looked this up anywhere, right? But dual experts and and people who look at diamonds how do they know that a diamond is in fact a diamond they've studied multiple authentic diamonds and that's how they can tell when they look at another a, a false diamond they can see this isn't the real thing we're able to see what is counterfeit when we know the truth and the truth is what we find in scripture it's what makes us strong It's what makes us wise and mature. Ephesians 4, verse 13 to 15. Until we reach all unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. We will no longer be babies, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. How do we not get tossed about by all sorts of cultural and theological waves by reaching unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God? And this is knowledge that you cannot experience by human opinion, but by the word of God. And you will only find that in one place. The word of God is in one place, and that is scripture. To Timothy, oh, sorry. This is critical, guys, because we are, um, if we are to be grown up, mature believers, effective for the kingdom, we must know the truths that scripture tells us. It's frightening to watch a new age Christianity forming that is so clearly rooted in the narrative of the world um, and that it's weaving instead of in scripture. There are people picking out only parts of the Bible that fit nicely into their existing ideologies and opinions that they formed by the world. And the crazy thing is, is that scripture warns us of this. 2 Timothy 4, um, verse 1 to 5, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
Scripture is clear that there is nothing that can be added or taken away from the Bible, that all of it is rooted in God himself, and that all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training, and righteousness. Either we accept it all as true or all as false. We cannot take what we like from the Bible and dismiss that which doesn't fit our ideologies. This is God's word saying this. Not a few Christian leaders who are trying to keep their membership numbers up when you don't like what they're saying. This is God's word. He's warned us through scripture. Let's read Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Two things that we need to point out here. Jesus' defense against the devil is to respond with Scripture. And then maybe we, who are not God, and far less powerful than Jesus or the devil, should probably do the same. Secondly, notice how the devil uses the very words of God to try and tempt Jesus into sin. What makes us think that the devil won't try and deceive us in the same way? He is so subtle to lure us away from righteousness that he will even use the words of God. Be careful, friends. God has not changed, but neither has the devil. We need to be careful that we don't use the Bible uh, for our own selfish gain, to fit our own ideologies, taking the truths of it and distorting them um, for what seems right to us. The Bible roots us in the truth, which is essential for us to know as followers of Jesus. The Bible holds the truth that makes us mature so that we can be strong, effective followers of God, knowing false teaching from truth and resisting the enemy with Scripture. It is the truth that makes us strong and mature. The third thing we're going to look at is the Bible is the truth that holds power. We're going to look at a parable um, of Jesus And this parable, he's using the example of a rich man who's in hell and then a poor man who's in heaven. His name is Lazarus. Um, And uh, he's standing next to Abraham. Lazarus is standing next to Abraham in heaven. Um, And this is an example for all rich men, the the parable essentially, um, that they don't place their faith in earthly treasures, rich men or women. Okay, so in this story that Jesus is telling, we have the rich man in hell. We've got Lazarus, who's in heaven, and the poor man, and then Abraham standing next to him. And uh, basically, he's pleading with Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers that are still alive. And he says, please go uh, tell them the truth about Jesus so that they don't have to come and rot in hell with me. Luke 16, verse uh, 27 to 31. So the rich man says, Then I beg you, Father, he's talking to Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. 
Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And then the rich man says, No, Father Abraham. He said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And then Abraham says, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. How profound is this? Moses and the prophets, that's the Bible. That's scripture we're talking about. The scriptures are so powerful that seeing a human being raised from the dead might not bring you to faith, but the truth of scripture will. And Jesus is saying, um, he's also pointing forward to his own resurrection, that these people will see him raised from dead to life, and they still won't believe because they have not believed the scriptures that were written before him. I think so often we think um, of people that we want to be um, saved, and we think if there was just a massive miracle, you know, if Jesus just parted the sea again, then they would believe. And what Jesus is teaching here is they wouldn't. But Scripture is so powerful as the words of God that it can bring people to salvation. It is powerful. I think of um, this man that I met on the plane, Taquanda. God is literally drawing him in by the Scriptures. He's going to be saved by the reading of the Word of God. Riley, such a cool example. When she was in university, she read the New Testament about five or six times, and she says somewhere in that reading, she crossed the line of faith. She accredits her salvation to the Bible. We have Lex Lazoides who was preaching um, last week, and one of his friends came to faith um, through, uh, well, reading the Word, and he just thought this was the most terrible thing, and he needed to really get his friend out of this awful situation and his delusion. Um, so he started reading the Bible and got saved. Because <laughs> the Bible is the truth filled with power. We can trust it. We can use it. It penetrates our hearts. It shows us phenomenal things. And it has the power to save because it is God's breathed word. It's the truth that gives us hope. The Bible is the truth that gives us hope. Oh, how sweet is the hope that scripture holds. I think of um, everything that we heard just this morning in worship. How sweet is it that scripture holds such hope that in complete weakness, when we feel completely unworthy, Scripture shows us that God has made us worthy. Romans 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Then we see 2 Peter 1 verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Lord. So grace and peace is a, scripture is the means by which it can bring those things to us. There are so many scriptures filled with hope and encouragement. He is our joy. He loves us. He's our rock and our refuge. We will not be shaken because we are in the Lord. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. His rod and his staff protect us. And in heaven, there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more suffering. These are the truths that scripture tells us. How hope-filled is the word of God. We grow in the knowledge of God, and then we grow in our hope. 
and faith. I think there's literally hundreds of examples where I can testify to the reading of God's word changing me to look up and be so encouraged by what he's done. I think of in the, the biggest times of trials where, um, where God's word is so powerful in saying rejoice in your trials because you know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. I mean, how beautiful is that? That we can trust that, that in our suffering, God um, can bring hope about, can bring beautiful encouragement about through his words. And then sometimes it can be so much more abstract than that. You know, it's a, it's a whole word of God. It's not just the verses that uh, get put on fridge magnets and bookmarks and whatnot and on the front of, you know, Kumbuk uh, diaries. <clears throat> Um, another really cool example is um, Petey, who's here today, my boyfriend. He is usually in Namibia, <laughs> where he lives, um, and does not have um, citizenship in South Africa. We've been waiting, um, yeah, like about two, more than two years for that to come through. And we've recently found out that there's no record of his application, which is... Um, quite uh, hectic in the way that it affects our lives and where we live and whatnot. Anyway, um, that kind of stuff is soul-crushing. When you hear that, so the news at the moment says that um, uh, it should take about, don't expect your um, citizenship or permanent residency before 2025. There's about a 50,000 backlog application in those um, permanent residency and citizenship and all that. Um, and the offices for processing these documents closed at the beginning of lockdown, which was March 2020, and they opened in January 2022. They have not processed a single thing. So that can be so hopeless, and you can get so bogged down by the fact that, oh, my word, this is ridiculous. Like, there's no way. It's impossible, you know? Um, Anyway, I was reading Joshua, uh, in verse 5, uh, well, chapter 5, 13 to 14. And basically, um, God uh, called them to um, basically uh, take down the city of Jericho. So he's on his way up, um, and that's where we are. So, the fall of Jericho. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So Joshua's assumption there is that this guy, this warrior, which is actually an angel, the commander of the Lord's army, are you for me? Or are you for my enemies? And he says, neither, I'm for God. And it was just this moment where God really reminded me of my little life. If I can't look up and see the big picture of what God is doing, that he's bringing his kingdom day by day, that he's defeated the devil and he's doing something wonderful from the beginning of scripture till the day when there will be no more mourning and no more sadness. That's the God I serve. 
I fit into his story. He doesn't fit into my story. And it was just deeply encouraging to look up and see the world so much bigger um, than I could have ever imagined. And then I was reminded that he's the one who parts the seas. He's the one that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, he can move mountains. He's the one that the things that look impossible, if you don't have God, if you don't believe in the existence of him, there is absolutely no way. And with God, all things are possible. Those are all truths that are rested in my heart that I have read and believed in scripture. Scripture gives us hope. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is God-breathed, that it is completely trustworthy, Father. Won't we be secured and inspired by it this morning, knowing that at the opening of our Bibles, we hear your very words, Father. And these are words that command us in a way that is beautiful, Father. These are words that are a means of grace. These are words that bring hope into our lives, Father. These are words filled with power, and these are words that make us grown up, mature, strong in the faith, Lord. Father, won't you help us to create spaces in our lives where we are infatuated by Scripture. Father, where we read it and know that it pierces us, that you can separate bone and marrow by your words, Father. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to live in a country where we can hold this book in public and not be persecuted. Father, will we not take that lightly, Lord? Won't you come and change our hearts through your scripture, Father? Won't you help us to just feel so secure in the fact that every single word we read there is not counterfeit, but truth. And when we face things in the world, Father, we can come to your word and just um, revel in the beauty of knowing that that there's nothing we have to question in terms of um, it being false. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen.